Welcome to the Life Point Louisville podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Sean McGill. For more information about this podcast and for other resources, visit lifepointlou.org. Hey, how many of you guys have ever got in the car and, um, you know, driven somewhere, you know, and went on a long road trip? Or, or maybe, maybe rather you've done this, right? You've got in the car, you've just got off your, you know, your job or you've got out of school or you're over at a friend's house or whatever. You got in the car and you turn the music on or maybe you didn't turn the music on and you hit, you know, the accelerator and you begin to go. And then like 20 minutes later, you ended up at the house and you sat in the driveway, you turned off the key to the car after you put it in park and you thought, how in the world did I get here? Am I the only one? You've gotten your vehicle and you know, you just drove 15 or 20, you, went, you drove 20 minutes because everybody knows everything is 20 minutes in Louisville. You drove 20 minutes to get wherever you, you know, were, were, were at to where you were going and you just thought, how did I get here? How did I get to this place? I mean, I just blinked and it was gone. You were dazed the whole time. You weren't really thinking about anything. You just, you, just, you just got there. You just showed up. I've been there before. In fact, I'm often there. And sometimes I think, am I just getting old? What is wrong with me? Why, why is this a common occurrence in my life where I pull up in the driveway? I'm like, how did I get here? I wasn't even on my phone the whole time. I mean, how did I get to this place? You know, while we've all done that, you know, in maybe a vehicle, I think we've done that in life sometimes too. We've, we've stepped back in our situations and we just asked ourselves the question, how did we get here? I don't even know how it happened. I barely even saw it coming. I don't even know the road I took. And then you look at your situation, you look at your life and you thought, how did I get here? You look at your relationships and you thought, how did I get here? You look at your finances and you're like, how did they get here? You ate too much at restaurants. You bought too much shoes, you, you know, whatever. You look at, you know, the things that are all around you and you just think, man, how did they, how did they get here? You look at 2020 and you think, how did we get here? You know what I'm saying? Did anybody step back and look and just say, how did this happen? For you, maybe it's not marriage or, or finances, but, but maybe you walked in today, and like I said a minute ago, you walked in with just a spirit of heaviness, just a spirit of despair on your life, and you're asking yourself a question like, how did I get here? How did this happen to me? How is it that at nighttime when I go to sleep, I feel like there's a ton of bricks on me? I can barely close my eyes, and when I do, I feel like I cannot breathe. How did I get here? How did I get here where I feel like every situation I walk into, I'm just angry and there is no joy and there's just a lack of purpose and I feel like I'm just dazed and confused? How did I get here? See, we can all get into those places where we just ask ourselves the question in certain areas of our life, how did we get here? And I just wanna encourage you today and that's what this series is about. I know that there are things that happen in life where you didn't mean to get there, but you got there. But you don't have to stay there. You don't have to stay where you are. I really have been praying and believing that God would allow a great exchange to happen. That there would be an exchange that happened in your life where God would exchange some things, some heaviness for joy. That God would exchange some things that you've been walking through in your marriage and in your relationships and maybe at your job and maybe with your kids and maybe some things that are just personal going on, some health issues, some finance issues. That God would do something where he would turn something around in a way that only he can do. And so what we want to do over the next two weeks is we want to look at the life of Elijah. And 
you know, I really want to give credit where credit is due. Uh, a pastor by the name of Pastor Chris Hodges, who is my pastor's pastor, wrote a book called Out of the Cave. And so if you want to pick that up, you can. I'm not promoting a book. I don't get a commission or anything like that. You know, I'm not, this isn't like an affiliate link. It's just a really good book that uh, a pastor spent a lot of time in study and preparation on, on depression and, and what the Bible would say about it. And so a lot of the content, obviously, is from the Bible and then from that book. So I want to encourage you to pick it up. But over the next two weeks, we want to dig into some of that content. And in no way am I an expert on depression, okay? I just want to be your pastor for a minute, okay? And so I could give you 100 statistics right now. I can, you know, give you everything that Google has to say, but I don't know if that would really do it any justice, right? You don't need to know that people are depressed. You can just look around and know that people are depressed, okay? You don't need to know people are committing suicide. You can look around and see it. And so today, I'm not here as an expert on depression. I'm not here as an expert on anxiety. In fact, I can do nothing to help you with your anxiety. I can do nothing to help you with your depression, but I can introduce you to a God that wants to do a great exchange today, an exchange, a spirit of heaviness. And maybe you have. And so we want to look at the life of Elijah, and Elijah really was an outstanding prophet. I mean, when you look at the life of Elijah, you would think, I mean, this guy has really got it going on. It'd be easy to think this guy has never struggled in his faith. In fact, he just went from miracle to miracle to miracle. He went from one high to another high. I mean, this guy never took an L, right? I mean, he was W's, W's, W's. Elijah was the guy that you would think walked around saying, all I do is win, 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 no matter what. I don't even know that song. I just, that's all I know, actually. I probably, if I knew more, I probably shouldn't sing more of it. It's probably not great. But, but that's how you would think Elijah walked around. I mean, just was a winner all the time. But I love what James says about Elijah when you look at the book of James. It says, Elisha was a human being. And then he adds a small little phrase that I think is so perfect, just like us. And so it's so easy to look at men and women in the Bible and think, man, they had it all together. They were perfect. They probably never struggled with the things that I struggled with. And if they do, I mean, they got out of them so easy. They never, you know, got themselves in a cave. They never got themselves in the mess that I get with because they were just perfect. They had the presence of God on them and they did mighty things. And, you know, Elijah did do a lot of mighty things. In fact, um, if you look at 1 Kings chapter 18, I'm not gonna take time to go through the whole story, but we actually preached about it a couple weeks ago when we we talked about Elisha uh, going up to, to, the, to the mountain and praying for rain and saying, hey, there's been a drought, but the drought is over. And he sent his servant and he said, hey, go look, I, I, I think rain is coming. God spoke to me and said, rain's coming. I mean, three years in a drought and he sends his servant back. If you remember the sermon, the servant goes back like seven times and finally he says, there is rain coming. There's a small cloud. It's like a man's hand. I mean, it was an amazing miracle. I mean, the guy called for a drought to happen and then he called God, you know, to send the rain and rain happened. And in between those stories, we see an even greater miracle. We see Elijah go head to head with 450 prophets of Baal. I mean, these guys were like OG. They were so OG. This is who the people had actually determined that they were going to worship during that time. They had such a grip on the society that they, the society was worshiping these gods of Baal. And, and, and the king, you know, and, and Elisha came against them and said, hey, you don't need to worship them anymore. There is a God of the universe that, that wants your worship, that wants your worship alone. And so Elijah goes head to head against the false gods with his God. 
And some amazing things happen if you read it. He goes up and, you know, he does this crazy thing with, with fire and altar and fire falls down from heaven. And ultimately, God is victorious through the man of God, Elijah. Well, this makes King Ahab extremely upset. I mean, he is, uh, I, I can only imagine the king in the moment, how frustrated he is with what's going on. And so here Elijah is, he's on the tail end of some big highs. I mean, God send a drought. God let fire fall from heaven. God send the rain. And it all happens. I mean, that's some W's right there. You know what I mean? And then Elisha gets, gets news from a messenger. And this is where we pick up the story today. And I want you to see what Elijah does on the other side of some big W's. We see in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse number one through four, it says, now Ahab told Jezebel. I mean, the king was very upset. And so he tells the queen, he says, hey, everything that Elijah has done uh, or ha had done and, and how he killed all the prophets with a sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah and said, may the God's... Uh, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, for if by this time tomorrow morning I do not uh, make your life like that of one of them. Then he goes on, and Elijah was afraid and ran for his life, and when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. That was a bad decision to go in alone, and while he was uh, himself there, he went into a journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. This font today is like 100 point. It's very difficult to read, so thank you for bearing with me. Maybe we can kick it down a point next week. But anyways, ADD. So here Elijah is, right? I mean, he just came off of a great high, and then he gets word that somebody's coming to kill him. And so he goes on the run, and he fears for his life. And the Bible says that he actually ends up in a cave. And here is a man that on one hand just experienced God's faithfulness and a whole lot of wins. I mean, days later is now in a cave saying, God, take my life. I'm ready to die. No better than my ancestors. I mean, how does that happen? He went from a high, high, high to a deep low. And isn't that what happens to us sometimes? We can have high highs and then it feels like the next day we're in a low. And here Elijah is, a human just like us, experiencing anxiety and depression and finds himself in a cave, a man of God, saying, God, just, just take my life. Just, just take it. I don't even want to live anymore. And so what I want to do today is I want, to, I want to talk about the things that we do to ourselves often to get us in the cave. You know, I know that there are very real neurochemical imbalances and, and different things that, that can happen in our mind and cause depression. And I don't want to talk about that today. Okay, I'm not an expert on that. In fact, for me to, to dig into that would actually do you injustice. But I do wanna talk about the things that are, that are not maybe you know, chemical imbalances, but are, are things that we do to ourselves. See, there, there are things that you, know, you can do to yourself that actually puts you in a cave. 
Yes, I understand that there are very real things that can happen that can cause anxiety and depression in your life. In fact, one psychologist in the book said this, that there's about 10 things that, that can put your life into depression. Eight of them are things you do to yourself. The other two are, are neurological or chemical imbalances. And so what I want to do is I want to talk about the things that we do to ourselves. The things that, that we choose to do that then puts us in places that, that ultimately could put us in a cave. And it's when we get into a cave that we feel a lot of anxiety. That depression will creep into us. It's in those moments the enemy wants to whisper, you're worthless. You don't matter. Just go ahead and end it today. So I want to talk about four or five things. We'll see how long time will allow. Number one, what's the first thing that I think that we can do to ourselves that can put us in a cave? The first thing is this. I think just sometimes life imbalances. Not chemical imbalances, but life imbalances. The things that we choose to do that just brings imbalance to our life. See, here Elijah is. He had just came out of this amazing season. He had just seen God do so much. I can imagine it was a lot of work. I mean, sometimes we think just a, a load in and load out on a day like this is a lot of work. This guy just called fire down from heaven. I mean, I'm sure that was some work. I'm sure he was tired. I'm sure he was exhausted. And so Elijah gets word, and then he goes on the run for like 30 days. In fact, you'll see next week as we pick up the story that he's so exhausted when God finds him in a cave before he ever begins to really minister to the situation, God sends an angel to provide food and water and encourage rest. And so, so often we can live our lives just constantly going, going from one thing to the next, from one you know, task to the other task, saying yes to everything. I love what Rick Warren says. He says this. He says, if we're burning the candle at both ends, we're probably not as bright as we think we are. Have you heard that phrase? And they're just burning the candle at both ends. I mean, they're just going, going, going. I would say if that's you, you're probably not as bright as you think you are because it's going to cause major life imbalances. I've been there where my life has got out of balance and I've been too busy and it's caused a lot of anxiety in me and heaviness in me. In fact, it was about five years ago, I had been on staff for about two years. I had moved from Mississippi to Virginia and took a job for LifePoint. And you have to understand, I was at a small church prior to, to moving to, to LifePoint in Virginia. You know, I was on a church of about three or 400 people and, you know, really had never led anybody. I mean, like a couple volunteers, never a paid staff. And, and I moved to Virginia and now we've got thousands of people, 16, I think probably 100 volunteers at the time, a full-time staff. And let me tell you, it was a lot of work. And what happened is I decided I was just going to burn, you know, the candle at both ends of the stick. And I never rested. And I never ate well. And I just, I went from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing. And, and it wasn't just about resting my body, but I also didn't rest my mind. I just kept going. See, sometimes you can, you can, you know, you can sleep all day and still end up with a life imbalance because you never shut this thing down. You're just going and going and going and going. And that was me. And I remember getting this like heaviness. In fact, it, it started, my, I thought I was having a heart attack. Um, and multiple times, three times I have been to the urgent care thinking I had a heart attack. Something was wrong with my heart. Every time for them to say nothing's wrong. 
He said, that's just, it's just, it's, it's some pressure. What, are you, you have a stressful job? You got anxiety? Maybe it's heartburn, you know, or something like, how's your diet? I mean, honestly, one time it was like, hey, two times it was stress, the other time it was heartburn. I was literally giving myself chest pains from the stress. And I wasn't doing anything stressful. What I was doing was a joy. I was just doing too much and never shutting it off. And my body decided it had enough, and so it started giving me some warning signs. And now, thank God for it, because I'll get, you know, I'll get weeks, and Jennifer will be like, are you okay? Because I'll start rubbing my chest, you know? I'm like, I drink a lot of coffee today, you know? And it's funny, because I feel like I have this built-in thing now that just tells me, okay, slow down a little bit. In fact, go drink some water, because you did drink too much coffee, because you were going too much. Anybody there? You're like, let me have 15 Red Bulls. And a couple monsters. And so I've found that when my life gets imbalanced, it can really affect me. And when it starts affecting my health, I promise you it starts affecting my mind. I think for about a year, I became a hypochondriac. I mean, everything. Is that what it's called? Yeah. I thought I had cancer every three days. (laughs) Honestly. I thought I was having a heart attack. And it's still something at times I struggle with. And when my life gets imbalanced, that's how the enemy wants to attack me. And, and I'm learning that those are warning signs that I need to take a break. I need to slow down because it will, it will creep in and cause anxiety in my life. It, it'll put me in a cave that I don't want to be on, that doesn't make me healthy, that doesn't make me fruitful, that doesn't make me all that God has you know, me to be. And so life imbalances can be huge because we just never slow down. And so some of them are lifestyle choices and a lot of them, they can be emotional choices. I love what one doctor said in in the book, The Depression Cure. He said this, he said, we were never designed for sedentary, like in front of a computer all day, indoors, socially, you know, isolated, fast food laden, sleep deprived, frenzied pace of life. I don't know if you know that. You were never designed to just go, 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 and never stop. You were never designed for just, you know, to be socially isolated, fast food laden. You know, we're by, I don't know if you know this, but we're actually triune beings. The Bible says that we're body, soul, and spirit. You can feed your spirit but not correctly feed your body and soul and end up in a cave. I'm learning like what we eat matters, how we exercise matters, how our mental, you know, it it, it matters. We We were never designed to do some of what we're doing. And so life imbalances can happen. And so many of us, I think if I were to ask you, we would say, you know, God's first in my life, right? God's first. How's your relationship with God? Man, it's going good. God's first in my life. But then when I sit down and I talk with people and we look at their time and we look at their money and we look at their affections, they actually point often to another priority. I think the enemy has done a great thing by, you know, the the Bible says he's actually a deceiver. He wants to deceive us and he's the father of lies. And I think what happens is, is he can deceive us to a point where we think we're actually putting God first, but we're not. And so life imbalances happen, and we weren't designed for that. Ecclesiastes, the wisest man that ever lived, wrote this. He said, better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil chasing after the wind. Better to just have one full handful and manage it well than to be double-fisted 
and be exhausted. Listen, you will burn out. Life balance matters. It matters. Now, college students, high school students, let me help you with this, okay? Uh, sometimes, sometimes you have to really step back and look and when it comes to life balances and say, am I really busy, okay? We'll use that as an excuse. We're, we, we, we think we're busier th than we are and, and then you'll hear like, some college student or something say something like, oh, you're not really busy. I mean, you know, just wait till you get older. You'll see how it really is. Right? Anybody ever had that? Like somebody complain, you're not really that busy. You know, we do have to step back and look at our life. But, but let, me, let me encourage you this. Don't let people dismiss that away. Okay? Really look at your life and ask yourself, am I busy? Is, am I doing too much? Is my mind going too much? You know, am I, am I creating priorities and rhythms in my life? Anyways, number two is this. I, I think life imbalances and then comparing ourselves with others can put us in a cave. Anybody ever compared yourself with anybody? Elijah gets in the cave and he says, take my life, I'm no better than my ancestors. He gets caught up with comparison. One minute he's a superstar and the next minute he's feeling like a failure. I don't know if you've thought about it, but we live in a world of constant Comparison. Honestly, the biggest culprit is social media. I mean, I don't, I don't need to talk about it because you know it. There's books coming out every week, Netflix documentaries about the harm that social media is doing. And I'm not anti-social media. I'm on it. I love it. But listen, it can get us to dark places it can cause some unhealthy things in our head because we're scrolling and we just start looking at others. And what happens, I believe, is this, is we just start scrolling our piece away. We, we're, we're scrolling and it's a good thing and it helps us feel connected, but it actually makes us more isolated than ever. Because we scroll, we scroll, we scroll, and we begin to compare and we're constantly checking likes and we're constantly checking comments and in those moments when we do that it's so easy then to begin to envy we begin to envy you know how many likes that they got on something how many comments they got on something or we begin to envy what somebody has and what we think we don't have and you see a you know a family on a Saturday morning going and you know picnicking in the woods and you're like my family's going on a picnic in the woods you know we're just as good I'm a good parent I'm a good dad you know because we see these things and we compare and then we're like we need to do that. And it's a real unhealthy place because it just reminds us of who we're not and who we think we'll never be. And, you know, I think another thing that, that happens when it comes to social media is it's almost become like TV. Have you thought about TV, right? We know it's not real, right? We know it's scripted. But one of the things that I'm fearful that we haven't learned about social media is, is this, this, this thing of like, it's not real either. It's scripted. Most of what you see on social media is scripted. It's not real. It was planned. It was thought about. It was often made up. Why? So somebody could look at it and be entertained. 
and get a like and get a comment. But we scroll through and think it's real. You can watch a TV show and not end up in, you know, depression oftentimes because you know it's make-believe. You know it's just a show, right? But you look at social media and we take everything as like gospel fact. Well, they did that, so it must be true. No, they didn't. They just made it. That was a green screen. They made it look like they were on a beach vacation, but they were some influencer with a lot of Photoshop and, you know, a lot of green screens. And, you know, somebody actually paid for them to do that. Just, you know, and so we scroll our life away and we lose peace. And so when we compare our weaknesses to to other people's strengths, it puts us in a dangerous place. I think the next thing that we do is, is we often, we focus on our deficits rather than our value. And then finally, we just, we begin to assume other people have better lives than us. And it puts us in a cave. And so we gotta let go of FOMO, you know? We gotta, we gotta let go and we have to understand that a heart at peace gives life to the body. Proverbs 14.30, not on the screen, but a heart at peace. It gives, oh, it is on the screen. Y'all, how did you read my mind? A heart of peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Stop scrolling your peace away. It'll put you in a cave. Galatians 4 says this. Each one of you should test your own actions. Then they can come, or, or then they can take pride in themselves alone. This is not an ungodly pride, but a, a holy pride, really without comparing themselves to someone else, for each one of us should carry our own load. Listen, you got enough to carry than to scroll your piece away carrying everybody else's load. And so we can put ourselves in caves through life imbalances, through comparing ourselves to others. The third thing is this, through ruminating and self-talk. What is ruminating? Well, it's the process of continually thinking about the same thoughts. They get this idea from a, from a cow that, that chews its cud. It's kind of a gross thing, but um, what they do is they'll, they'll, they'll eat and they'll chew it and then they'll swallow it and then they'll throw it back up and they'll chew it and they'll swallow it and then they'll throw it back up. I mean, that's a gross process. But many times with negative thoughts and things that are going on in our head and things that are stressing us out, we, we, we ruminate those things. They just live in there and it's like we're, we're, we're having the thought and we're swallowing it and we're throwing it back up and we're having the thought and we're swallowing it and we're throwing it back up. And that can be a really bad place. You know, one guy said this, he said, 95% of your emotions are determined by the way you actually think. So what we think is important. Last week we read this scripture in Philippians 4, 8, and 9. It said this, finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Like think, think on these things and what will happen? The peace of God will be with you. And so often we can ruminate and we can self-talk on the wrong things. And the writer would say, you've got to think about the right things because if you think about the right things and let the right things ruminate in you, you will have peace. But the enemy wants us to ruminate on the wrong things, the things that say you'll never change, the things that say you always will be, the things that say you're just not fill in the blank. 
What have you been telling yourself? You'll never beat that sin. You'll always be that. You'll never lose, you know, whatever. And it just plays like a cassette tape and we put it on repeat in our minds and those things can wreak so much havoc on us when we're thinking about the wrong things and we're not thinking about the right things, the the things that are pure and the things that are lovely and the things that are excellent and praiseworthy. We're not thinking about those things. We'll put ourselves in a cave of negativity and we'll just ruminate on those things. I think that's why the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10.5 to take captive every thought. Take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. I think we've got to learn as followers of Christ that when these thoughts of negativity come in our head to take them captive. If you look up this word, this word captive really gives us, it gives us the impression of, of, of grabbing your thought by the throat and putting it up against the wall. It's, it's kind of an aggressive idea here that we would get, we would get real with it. You know what I mean? That we would, we would get this righteous anger with it and say, you're not going to live up here. That I'm taking you captive and I'm giving you to Christ. It's an exchange of, of, of not self-talking the wrong things because self-talk will put you in a cave And so I want to encourage you. I think the best way to get rid of unhealthy self-talk is to start daily declarations. When you find yourself, you know, ruminating over the wrong things, when you find yourself, you know, constantly in a place where you're, your, your negative thoughts, you'll never, you'll always be, God doesn't, you know, those things. You got to wake up in the morning. You got to think on the right things. You got to say, no, I am. I am what? I am healed. I am healed. God heals all my sickness. I am delivered. God rescues me from every place of trouble. I am blessed. I'm the head and not the tail. I am forgiven. He blotted out all my sins. I am restored today. I am healthy. I am whole. I am full today of God's grace. I am wise. The words of the righteous will be wisdom, wisdom. I'm anointed, God. There's days I get up here, man, I'm telling you. There's days I get up here and the enemy wants to whisper, oh, you'll never be enough. You can never do this. There's days where, Greg, you said it this morning in rally. I thought it was so funny. You said, man, this microphone feels like 50 pounds. Sometimes you get up here and the microphone can feel like 50 pounds because the enemy wants to get self-talk in your head and say, oh, they're not gonna like this or whatever. And I'm like, man, you better shut up, enemy. You better shut your trap. Don't you talk to me. I am called. I am anointed. I am chosen. I'm the head and not the tail. God has created me for this moment. God has, I'm just saying, like, that's how it plays out in my life. I don't know how it plays out in your life. But you all have moments where the enemy wants to whisper something in your ear. You're not enough. You'll never be enough. You'll never. And you've got to step back, and we've got to get a backbone and say, no, I am. That's why you gotta know your Bible. There's nothing better to come at the enemy with than the word of God because the enemy has no authority over the word of, I'm sorry, I got really excited on that. No authority. Okay. Number four. We can get in a cave with isolation and loneliness. You know, 
I think um, 2020, and I hate that it feels like we're always bringing it back up, but it's just real. This is what it is. I mean, to, to not talk about it is what, to like put my head in a cave and just pretend like it never happened. It happened. And I think in a world of, of social distancing, in many ways, many people physical distant, distant from one another. You know, what do I mean by that? As we physically got distant, which we needed to, you know, six feet, all that things, what happened is we socially got distant in an unhealthy way. Because what happened is as we weren't around people, many of us, we put ourselves in a cave. We put ourselves in a cave of news. We put ourselves in a cave of social media, all these things. And we let all these voices begin to talk to us that we cannot touch and we cannot hug and we cannot put our arms around us. You know, like I'll go out of town and I'll, I'll FaceTime my little boy, but how many of you guys know there's a FaceTime is good, but it's a lot better to sit beside your child's bed at night and read them a book. And over the last like 18 months, man, we've had to isolate ourselves. I think the enemy's taken like a lot of, I think the enemy's tried to take a lot of ground, honestly, in our lives. And just call it what it is. The enemy's looked at this moment and he's saying, I'm going to work overtime now because this is what I do. I love for people to get isolated. Physical distance, yes. Let me put them in a cave. And I hate it because Mother Teresa says this, the most terrible poverty is loneliness. It's loneliness. And there's so many people that are just struggling with loneliness. And what happens when we get lonely, we get fearful. And fear has like gripped our world. Loneliness has put us in a cave and it's washed us with fear. We're made for human contact. We're made for connection. That's why this season has been so difficult. That's why people struggled to stay in their house because we're not wired for that. We're not wired not to be together. In fact, in the very beginning, as we look at the Bible, the first problem in the Bible wasn't sin. You know what the first problem in the Bible was? It was solitude. Look what, look what, God, or look what the Word of God says in Genesis chapter 2. The Lord God says it is not good. He made man and then he said it's not good for him to be alone. And so he made him a relationship, a companion, a helper, a friend. <laughs> We're wired for each other. You might say, man, I did really good. You know, I'm, I'm super social in 2020. I had like 20,000 new followers and I've got all these people, but you can have 20,000 followers. You can do all the Zoom, you know, you want, but we need each other. We need, we need, we need people. Relating online isn't the same thing as walking shoulder to shoulder in a park. And so I think we've become super lonely this last year. And loneliness, I think, has, for many, 
many people like begin telling them a lie of like, this is, this is a good thing. You don't need people. You're actually okay. You just do you. And I think what I'm afraid of, and I don't know, right? I'm just like thinking out loud here. I'm afraid that we're gonna come out of this pandemic and people are gonna get used to being alone. That the longer we sit in it, the more they begin to like it. The longer we sit alone in our homes, the more we think, this isn't so bad. If I'm the enemy, that's the kind of self-talk I'd wanna put into people's head. But Romans 12, five says, since we're all one body, in Christ, we belong to each other and each of us needs each other. And so here's what I wanna encourage our church to do. You're here, okay? You need this on a Sunday. Man, thank you for being in the house of God. You need this. You don't just need a word from me. You need the person on the right and left of you. I wanna encourage you, if you didn't get signed up for a small group last week or the week before, to do so. I don't get commission or bonuses for you like getting in a small group, right? My heart is pure. You need relationships. There's gonna be a moment in your life where you just need to reach out to somebody and say, I need help. We, we need each other. Man, one of the best things you can do, I think, if you found yourself in a cave is to get around other people. If you didn't sign up for a small group, I wanna encourage you, sign up for one. Man, it may be one of the best things that you've ever done. We've told all of our leaders, we've encouraged them. Here's, here's, here's what your small group needs to look like, that you'll pray for one another, you'll encourage one another, you'll lift one another up. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be great to have people that are praying for you, lifting you up, encouraging you? You need it. We need each other. So I could give you three points. I could tell you some good one-liners on it, but let me just speak from the heart. You need people. You can't do life alone. And so I think we can get in the cave through just busyness, life imbalances. I think we can get in a cave through negative self-talk and comparison. I think being alone can put us in a cave. But the last one, I think, is something that we need to be aware of. It's not something we really do for ourselves. But it's something that you need to be aware of because it is something that will put you in a cave. And it's this, it's spiritual warfare. The enemy is real, okay? The devil, he's real. And he has a job to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants you in a cave. I want you to imagine with me that, that, why don't you close your eyes actually? imagine with me that I have some inside information and I found out that somebody got a key to your house and you don't know it but tonight's the night they're coming over they're going to come for you while you're asleep 
They're going to take your kids. They're going to take your spouse. Going to duct tape them, tie their hands, whatever, and snatch them away. I want you to open your eyes. What would you be willing to do if that was going to happen in your house tonight? I'll tell you, you wouldn't go to bed. You'd stay awake. You'd stay alert. You'd be watchful. You'd probably go try to find a weapon. (laughs) Can I just say this? The enemy, the Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9, it says that he's like a roaring lion. It says to be alert and self-controlled. Be alert and self-controlled. Be alert, don't be asleep. Be alert, be attentive. The devil prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Y'all, spiritual warfare is real. And the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And so you gotta be alert. It says stand firm in the faith and resist him. If you knew somebody was coming over to harm you, you'd try to find a weapon and you'd be alert. You need to know as you wake up to the idea that there is a real enemy that's trying to put you in a cave, you too have weapons. You've got the full armor of God that you can put on, but you know what other weapons you have? You got the name of Jesus. At that name, every, every, every devil has to flee. At that name, every knee will bow. You got the name of Jesus that you can declare every time the enemy tries to put you in a cave. Every time the enemy tries to self-talk to you, you can say in the name of Jesus, the enemy may have, let me me say this, the enemy may want to steal, kill, and destroy you, but he has no power over the name of Jesus. He has to respond to a higher authority, and that authority is the name of of Jesus. You got the name of Jesus. You got the blood of Jesus. It was the blood of Jesus that they applied to their doorpost in the book, you know, or in the Old Testament, where when the death angel came, the enemy came, it passed them by. You got the blood of Jesus that you can look over your life and say, God, you died for me. You shed your blood for me. I receive your blood. And enemy, I am forgiven. And I am healed. And I am whole. And the blood of Jesus is washed over me when I accepted Jesus. And so there is no sin that you'll remind me of. There is no shame that you'll try to use to put me in a cave because the blood of Jesus is on me. And it was enough to conquer. It was enough. And you got the word of God. You've got the name of Jesus. You've got the blood of Jesus. And you've got the word. And the word says it is a light. My little boy, I love it. We were laying in bed. One night, and he says, Daddy, you know what? You know what? I said, what, buddy? He says, the Word of God, it's a lamp unto my feet. It's a light unto my path. I'll hide it in my heart so I won't sin against Him. I said, buddy, that's so sweet. The Word of God, it is light. It is light, and light overcomes darkness. The Bible says that darkness cannot be overcome. Or, dark, or light cannot be overcome by darkness. 
No darkness can overcome you when you start declaring the word of God. I know I'm, I'm a few minutes over, but let me just say, if you're in a cave, you've got to start declaring the name of Jesus. You've got to start believing what he did for you on a cross. And then lastly, you got to open the book and declare some light. Can I pray for you, Father? I just pray right now. God, that every person that's in a cave, every person that's in a cave, that maybe they put themselves in because they were busy, because they were allowing themselves to compare all these things I talked about. God, I pray today, God, that they would have hope that they can get out of the cave. God, that they don't have to stay there, that they have power in the cave over the enemy. So God, I just pray right now, God, that people that have been struggling with anxiety and depression, God, that they would walk out of here actually believing, believing that it can come off of them. Galatians says this, it says, whom the Son sets free. It's free indeed. And so God, may there be freedom in this place. God, may there be freedom in this place. God, may there be freedom in this place. May there be freedom over depression. May there be freedom over anxiety. May there be freedom from the things that the enemy has tried to torture us with. May there be freedom, God. May there be freedom that reigns in this place, God. May there be an exchange of heaviness, God, for a garment of joy, God. I pray today that the spirit of heaviness, God, would be washed away from people, God, and I pray that there would be a washing of your Holy Spirit that would come and empower people to believe again, to breathe again, to hope again. And so right now, God, in Jesus' name, we lift you up. Come on, church, would you stand to your feet? Would you worship him? There's a prayer team around the front. If you need prayer, they would love to pray with you. Would you just seal this moment by lifting up Jesus and singing with the band? We'll dismiss you in a second. But come on, let's lift up a hand. Let's believe Jesus can do something in this moment. to the LifePoint Louisville podcast. If you would like to partner with us in spreading the good news of Jesus, you can give by visiting lifepointlou.org forward slash give or text LCLOU to 77977. Thanks so much. We hope you have an incredible week.